Uh, have you ever been hoodwinked, bamboozled? Have you ever been tricked into doing something or buying something you didn't really even want? Um, I've always been a sucker for the as-seen-on-TV products, you know, the kind they're always selling on commercials. And the funny thing is, you know it's true, we were doing just fine without that thing, whatever that thing was. We didn't really need it, and yet, after watching the commercial, I just become convinced that I couldn't have lived without this thing. I have to have it. The commercial comes on and now convinces me that my entire life has been a waste without this robe that's also a blanket. Or, uh, you know, how much joy have I missed out on because I didn't have a chia pet growing on the windowsill? How much money have I wasted buying beef jerky when I could be dehydrating my own beef jerky from the comfort of my kitchen, right? This is the power of good advertising. Taking something we don't actually need and fooling us into thinking we just can't live without it. It's good advertising. You know, it makes for bad religion, though. And when we study what the Apostle Paul is is telling us here in the letter to the churches of Galatia, basically the entire letter was written with great urgency concerning this problem. The Galatians being fed something they didn't need that initially they didn't even want, but now being fooled into thinking they have to have it. See, here's what's going on, the, the context of Galatians. These are Gentile people, meaning they are non-Jewish people, who had received from the Apostle Paul the message of God's grace through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a message that says, whether you are a Jewish insider or a Gentile outsider, it makes no difference, because you may be forgiven of your sins and saved forever as a free gift of God, simply by trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, the Galatians initially received that salvation with great joy, but then Paul moved on to preach in other places, and some teachers came in behind him, they came to town, with a different message. Jesus will save you, these teachers said, but only if you convert to the ways of Judaism. You can't really be set right with God unless you're circumcised, unless you submit yourself to the laws of God, as revealed in the Old Testament. Some people refer to these teachers as Judaizers because their goal was to convince people that God will only save you if you become a Jew first and a Christian second. And y'all, that was as ridiculous as that may sound to us, that was a very easy teaching to buy into, to believe, because frankly, these Jews had an entire book of scripture to back it up, right? What we now call the Old Testament, they had Genesis through Malachi, and they could point to the book and say, here's proof that the Israelites are God's special and chosen people. We're the sons of Abraham. We're the children of promise. We are the keepers of God's law. And so if you want to really belong to God, you have to become as we are. That's the only way in. It's an easy message to believe, but it's a message that Paul uh, disagrees with. It's right, about as mildly as I can put it there. Paul disagrees. In fact, you, if you weren't with us, that's okay. But we, when we looked at chapter 1, we saw this. Paul, in no uncertain terms, says to the Galatians, if you believe that message of grace plus the works of the law, you're not getting closer to God. You're actually deserting God. That is a message of desertion. You're leaving God behind, the God who called you by the grace of His Son, 
this new message, this different message, is not a nice addition to your faith. It's not a compliment to the gospel. It's a different message altogether. And Paul calls it a message of condemnation. So this is not something that dresses up our salvation and makes us more presentable to God. Paul says it actually takes you away from Jesus and condemns you all over again. That's chapter 1. So now we're in chapter 3. Paul has given us a lot of narrative, a lot of story to this point in the last chapter and a half or so. But now he returns back to the point. He wants to appeal to these brothers and sisters who are very precious to him. You know, Paul, when he preached the gospel in Galatia, he did it at great risk and at great cost to himself. These people matter to him, right? He's like a father and they're his children. That's the way he views them. And so when a threat arises, a threat to their faith like this one, Paul takes off the gloves. He means business. We see that in chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now Paul goes in strongly right here with a little name calling. But there's a very pastoral and even fatherly tone happening in, in chapter 3. Y'all, if, if you uh, ever experienced this as a child, and, and certainly if you're a parent, you know this. Every child has necessary moments where mom and dad have to step in and ask this question. How could you be so foolish? In what universe did that seem like a good idea to you? You ever had that said to you as a child, or you said it to your own children? Every child has that necessary moment. And that's Paul's posture right here. He's not insulting them. He's he's genuinely bewildered. How could you be so foolish? Who has bewitched you? Who's hoodwinked you and put you under their spell here? And see, this is what Paul is so upset about. These people ought to know better. They should know better than what they've come to believe or what they're being swayed into here. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now see, that's that's Paul's way of saying that when he came and preached to them, the message of the cross was not an embarrassment to Paul. It was not the fine print at the bottom of the contract. It was not the, you know, the extra thing at the end of the commercial you know, that they say really, really fast that you don't really hear because you're too busy dialing the number or getting on the website to order the thing. Oh, by the way, it could cause infant or sudden death or whatever. Like, No, okay. No, the gospel, Jesus Christ crucified, that was the only message Paul preached. It wasn't fine print. It wasn't embarrassment. This, it was like it was plastered on every billboard in town. The message of Jesus dying on the cross could not have been any clearer. He might as well have died right before your very eyes. And so how is it, Galatians, that you are now thinking that somehow his death on the cross isn't sufficient to save you anymore? It used to be at the first, but it's not now? Who has put you under their spell that you would believe such a crazy thought? And see, it's this change that Paul is witnessing or hearing about from afar that's causing him now to bring some questions to bear. All right, you see this in verse 2. He wants to know some things from the Galatians. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, this is the first time in the letter to the Galatians that Paul mentions the Holy Spirit, all the way here in chapter 3. But if you stick with us, if you keep going with us through Galatians, the Spirit is now featured prominently through the rest of this letter. The Spirit comes up over and over again, and there's good reason for that. Because there is no Christianity apart from the Spirit of God. That's why Paul asks this first question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, up to this point, Paul's primary kind of emphasis has been uh, justification by faith. By faith, we are set right with God, not by any works that we do. Well, the message of the false teachers was, okay, faith is good, it's necessary, but you're not justified yet. Faith has to be supplemented with your own works. Then you're justified. Well, Paul changes the language ever so slightly here, I think in response to that concern, okay? When did you receive the Spirit? Why does he ask it like that? Because, y'all, the Spirit of God comes to us in our salvation, right? If you are justified by faith, you're set right with God, you receive the Spirit, and those two things work in concert together. Not one happens apart from the other. And, y'all, this is something that is, is essential. We're not going to spend a ton of time on it because the Spirit, again, will come up. Uh, as we go, but way back in the prophets of the Old Testament, back in Jeremiah, back in Ezekiel, God made a promise. It's called the promise of the new covenant. God said, I will put my very spirit within you. Jesus, who is the fulfillment of that promise, Jesus who comes to make it so, he said that if you're going to be saved, you have to be born again. Born again, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. Because the flesh profits nothing, it's the Spirit who gives life. That's what Jesus said. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, says that when you believed in the gospel, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of God's promise. And he says to the Corinthians, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. And so if we put it very simply, our salvation is of the Spirit. It's a divine and supernatural work of God who saves us by His Spirit and gives His Spirit to indwell us. This is not something we can produce in the flesh. Only God can do it, and His Spirit is its seal. So Paul asks this obvious question. Did you receive the Spirit as a reward for your law-keeping or by hearing with faith? And that's not a trick question. The Galatians surely knew the answer to this. They received the Spirit of God when they heard the gospel and trusted Christ. They had never kept God's law prior to that. These are Gentiles. They didn't have the law to begin with. They didn't know the law. That's being backloaded now onto them by the false teachers. So how is it that you were saved, Paul says? It has to be by hearing with faith. And which leads to the second question. Okay, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Which is a fair question. 
Okay, yeah, well, the Spirit came by faith, yes, 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 but we still have to do our part to be saved. Right? That's the message that they were inching closer to. Paul says, no, if you began by the Spirit, how are you going to be perfected? How are you going to be completed? And if, we, if it helps us maybe to clarify Paul's point, we could ask the question like this. What has God actually done for us in the sending of his Son and in the sending of his Spirit to indwell us? Was all of that that God has done, was that just simply to get us on the right religious track? But in the end, it still falls on you and me to justify ourselves. In the end, it's still, it's your self-made, self-produced righteousness that's going to finish what God started. Is that what the Bible teaches? The Spirit got you going, but God puts that burden back on you, back on your shoulders. You've got to carry the weight of your justification. The Spirit got you in the door, but that's it. And y'all, Paul is asking, it's, it's an all-important question here, not just for the Galatians, it's for us. What has God actually done for us? Has God really saved us, or has he merely helped us save ourselves? What we're dealing with in this, in this letter, uh, I call it a half-gospel, because certainly the false teachers acknowledged Jesus. They didn't deny Jesus altogether. And more than likely, they would have acknowledged God's gift of the Holy Spirit. But the death of Jesus and the indwelling of the Spirit, they said, that only gets you halfway home. You have to complete your salvation. You have to take the good work that God started and finish it yourself. How else are you going to prove worthy of Him? You have to make yourself worthy to belong to Him the same way we do. That was the teacher's message. And this takes us, y'all, as we do every Sunday, it takes us back to square one. Any gospel, any message that takes Jesus to be insufficient to really save you, any gospel that says the Spirit of God doesn't really seal you as belonging to God, that is a half gospel, which Paul says is no gospel at all. And I want to be really extra clear on this. There is no such thing as a half gospel, as if God would ever do anything halfway to get us uh, to the midpoint, or even to the 90th percent that we might finish the rest. This is no gospel at all. Paul says it can't save you because there's nothing God has ever done to help you save yourself. God is not present in that teaching, no matter how much religious language we slap onto it. Either God saves us entirely by his grace, or we can't be saved at all. It's either all of grace or it's nothing to speak of. And so this was a problem, obviously, a problem in the early church. It's a problem in the modern church, though, too. Not much has changed. And I think, I think we take for granted uh, how, how powerful this impulse is in every human heart. If we ask this question, okay, what is it that really makes you acceptable to God? What is it that really makes you a Christian? Y'all, I know my immediate impulse is to look within myself for that answer, is to look to me. And I'll begin to recite my own religious and moral resume in hopes of making a case for myself that I can at least get somewhat closer to God than maybe the rest of the crowd, or at least I'm a little more moral and religious than I used to be. 
And y'all, that's, that's the impulse of the human heart is, what makes me a Christian? I always want to begin with the word I and look to myself. And I've been a pastor for 17 years now. And so this is not, I know this is not a problem that's unique to me. Because I've had, over the course of time, I've had untold numbers of conversations with people where I very simply ask the question, okay, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be saved? And y'all, almost always, almost always, the answer is something like this. Well, I try to love God, and I try to do what the Bible says, and uh, you know, I, I try to be who God wants me to be, and I try to love other people. And those are all good things. But none of those things actually make a person a Christian. None of those things are saving. And y'all don't say that in judgment. Again, this is, this is an impulse that I share. That we have to get down to the root of what, of what this whole thing is about. A person is saved only by faith in Jesus. And what Jesus has done on our behalf. In the olden days, they called it an alien righteousness. Right? Alien is something that comes from outside of us. It's something that must invade. A righteousness not of my own making, not of my own doing, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Recognize this impulse in our hearts and allow the Bible to put it to death. See, this is why Paul comes back to these questions. Let's, let's look at them again for our own sake. Verse 2 again. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Just tell me this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected, completed by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then does He, God, who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law? or by hearing with faith. How did God really save you, and how much saving has He actually done? Were you given His Spirit on the basis of your good behavior, or did you receive the Spirit as a gift? Did God give you the Spirit to get you halfway home, or are you really sealed by God from day one as belonging to Him by grace alone? Are the Son of God and the Spirit of God inadequate? And therefore, you have to finish what God could only start. Paul asks these questions assuming the answers. And we should assume the right answers here. But y'all, if we don't answer these questions for ourselves, we're always going to be looking in the wrong place for our assurance and our confidence and our justification. If we can't answer as to the source of our salvation, then we're going to do what human beings only know how to do. We're going to look in the mirror. We're going to look to ourselves because that's what religious impulse tells us to do. We're always going to be polishing up the religious resume in hopes of achieving what God has already delighted to give for free. That's why I forget who the pastor was who said it. I'm sure it wasn't original to him either, but the Christian identity, the Christian faith, is received, not achieved. I don't know how to, how to say it any simpler than that. It's received, not achieved. And so, y'all, any message that says we must supplement the work of Jesus, 
because his grace is not quite enough to save us. That's like buying a Chia pet and calling it a garden. All right? It ain't so. It's not good news. Anything that puts the burden back on your shoulders is not good news. It's good advice, perhaps, but it's not the gospel. It's no gospel at all. Okay. Now, there's something else I want to draw out for us here. It's not quite as explicit in the text, but it comes from the same root, the same source. And I think it very much applies to us where we sit. Remember, any uh, half gospel that diminishes Jesus is not of God. If it makes Jesus smaller, if it makes his work any less, then God did not give us that message. God has not sent that kind of Savior. Well, we have our own half gospel that fits in very nicely here in our culture today. It poses the very same threat to us, the same threat that the Galatians faced, we now face, although the shades of it are a little different. The Galatians were being told, you have to supplement the work of God through your own good works. Our other little half gospel that we kind of buy into typically in our own culture is this. Jesus is our supplement so that we might have a good, happy, well-rounded life. And here's what I mean when I say that. Y'all, there's a form of religion going around. It's always been around, by the way. There's a form of religion that says, you know, I very much like Jesus. I think Jesus is great. I like his teachings. I like his forgiveness. I like his acceptance. And so I want Jesus in my life. Of course I do. But not in any kind of like consuming way. I want Jesus to be manageable. I want him to fit in nicely right there alongside all my other ambitions and and affections and and priorities. In fact, I would very much like if Jesus would bless all of my ambitions and priorities so that they would flourish. Wouldn't that be great? I want Jesus to bless my finances. I want him to bless my kids so that they'll have good, well-rounded lives. It's a kind of religion that embraces Jesus as long as I'm able to remain in control. As long as I can stay behind the wheel, I want Jesus in the passenger seat. This Jesus is therefore a supplement or maybe a nice multivitamin in my pursuit of a good and happy life. Now, as I was writing this down this week, thinking through this sermon, I kept saying to myself, This is true for some people, I know, but it's not true of me. I'm a pastor, right? But then I started thinking through, you know, Paul gives us some rhetorical questions here in Galatians 3. So I made a little list of rhetorical questions for me that really put me in my place. And I thought, you know, I can't keep these to myself. I'm going to share these on Sunday. Just just as a a self-diagnosis tool here for us that perhaps this little add-on Jesus that I'm talking about, maybe this might be true of you too, at least a little bit. Here, a couple of questions I wanted to ask myself, maybe you can ask of yourself. Would I rather have Jesus bless my current way of life, or would I rather him transform my life to fit his purpose and will? Would I rather Jesus bless me right where I stand and keep me the way I am, Or would I rather him transform me so that I might live in his purpose and his will? Or we could say it like this. Do I want Jesus' blessing, but not so much his interference, his invasion? I just want him to help me flourish. 
would I rather have a, a wealthy and comfortable life without Jesus? Or would I rather have great suffering and poverty with Jesus? Now, there are a great many of our brothers and sisters in the world who don't, don't get to make that choice. They simply have suffering as their lot in life. Some of us in this room may. But I mean, honestly, if I, if I just asked me, my, my own heart, this question, which would I rather have, a happy, healthy, wealthy life without Jesus or great suffering with him? Which appeals to my heart more? Do I enjoy the feeling of God's forgiveness, but I don't actually desire holiness? Do I want my sins forgiven, but I really don't want them forsaken? I don't want to change how I live. I just want to feel free. You know, I, I call all that a, a half gospel because we can very much acknowledge Jesus and like Jesus, but treat him as an add-on. Treat him as a merely a helper and a comforter, somebody to come along me and support me and bless me and help me have a better, more well-rounded existence. But in the end, we treat Jesus as something that, that, that we can manage. He simply exists to make me better. And y'all, I think most people, when they think of Jesus, when they think of Christianity, that's exactly what they're thinking of. He gives me moral guidelines, he helps me when I need assistance, and he's there to comfort me when things go south. But y'all, that, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. And if we call it a half gospel, remember we're saying that's no gospel at all. No such Jesus exists. There is no add-on Jesus. And I think if we, if we took time to actually think about just reality, if I, if I recognize the true depth of my sin and the true brokenness of this world and the futility of living only for myself, I wouldn't want that kind of Jesus anyway. What good could he do me? Someone to come along and sprinkle blessings periodically on my present existence. No, I need a Savior. Merciful enough to deliver me from all my sins. Powerful enough to actually transform me and give me a new heart. And glorious enough to outweigh all my lesser ambitions and priorities. Jesus will not be an add-on to our nice religious way of life. Paul will not allow it. Jesus will not supplement you. You cannot supplement him. And so think about this today, y'all. If you, if you have received the Spirit of God, by hearing with faith, that means you did nothing good to earn this gift. You add nothing to the equation. You can do and you must do nothing to complete this great work of God. To add to Jesus is actually to subtract Jesus. We end up losing him by trying to add to what he's done in all his glory and perfection. And so, y'all, that's what makes the gospel good news, not good advice. It's good news that Jesus Christ has loved you and given himself up for you. That God has given himself to you. That's what the indwelling of the Spirit represents, that God has not saved us from afar. He didn't record your name in heaven, and one day you'll enter into the glory of it. He's actually come to you right now. You know him, and he knows you. The Spirit of God has been poured out in our hearts. That's good news. And so I appeal to us, I appeal to my own heart in this moment, that we can't be 
hoodwinked by any message that makes Jesus out to be smaller and makes us bigger. Gospel grace plus law makes Jesus small and puts the emphasis back on us. Add on Jesus makes Jesus small. He simply is a divine helper, and that's all. And I'm still in control. Now, the gospel makes us small and shows us how great he really is. And so, y'all, this, this Galatians 3, golly, this is a sharp word. It's a convicting word, I hope. It's a word of warning and correction. We all need it. But Paul doesn't give it because he's trying to crush these people, because he's trying to weigh them down with a heavy burden. Paul gives it to bring them out of the burden. They're being crushed, and he wants them to see that they're free. And that's for us. Anytime the Scripture gives us a warning as Christians, it's so that we might come out of sin, out of false teaching, out of whatever it may be that crushes and into life where Jesus is. And so, y'all, today, I hope this, that whatever version of a half gospel, perhaps, that, that rattles around in my heart or yours, that today we would be free. Free from any message that cannot and will not save us. Free from any self-made religion that in the end only turns it back to us and takes the attention away from Him. Y'all, I would, I would hope this for all of us, that never again would we look within ourselves for a life that only God can produce, an alien righteousness that must come from the outside in. That's why we have the joy each and every day, each and every Sunday, to look away from me and look instead to him, to Jesus. When Paul's life changed, we saw it in Galatians chapter 1, I, 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 that was his whole story, until one day, he, God, who called me by his grace, and nothing was ever the same. May that be our story too, a free gift that we receive by faith alone. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, we trust this morning, I pray, that you are strong enough, powerful enough to save us entirely without any added assistance, without any extra burden, without any leftover, undone work required. You really have the ability, Father, to take lost sinners and make us righteous. And you've done it all by the sending of your Son who suffered for us, who died on our behalf, and whom you raised again to glorious, victorious life. Everything, Lord, we need has been accomplished in full. And so, Father, where we are, maybe like the Galatians, always trying to um, pacify this impulse in us that says, I, I, just, I, I have to make my own way. I have to prove myself worthy. I have to, to carry 
my own load. Or else, Father, you will not accept me. Lord, will you, once and for all, cut away that, that impulse. Lord, do surgery on our hearts. Remove from us any root that still remains. That turns things back to us. And loses Jesus in the process. And Father, I pray, maybe, maybe this is only for me, but I, I certainly pray for all of us here that if we have the, the kind of the, the, the other side of the coin, if we think of Jesus as, as our supplement, as our helper, as our nice addition to keep us good and, and happy and um, well-rounded, then, Lord, root that out just as well. And help us, I pray, to see that that, that is a religion truly of our own making, Maybe that's the culture we were raised up in. Maybe that's just what, we, what we've come to believe uh, adopted from, from the culture, whatever it may be. Father, I, I pray that, that we would see with great clarity the, the, the sharpness of the gospel to cut away any half measures, any, any lesser beliefs, Lord, that we carry about who Jesus really is. He, he is Savior and Lord. He is our all-consuming new uh, Master, Lord. And I pray, Lord, we gladly come up under Him knowing that life is in Him, grace is in Him, Holiness is in Him. Everything that we are, everything that we will become, Lord, it's all in Christ. And so, Father, for, for us, um, just pray, reveal to us if there's a half gospel somewhere. Which is no gospel at all. And Lord, I pray, let us, let us know the real Jesus. Let us celebrate the fullness of His grace. And let us be gladly consumed by the greatness of His life in us. Lord, I, I pray, thank You that we're, we're not just here to get well-rounded. We're here to be transformed. We're here to be made new. Uh, we're here because You've made us new. And so, Lord, let that be our anthem. Let that be our, our prayer. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Father, make that the, the beat of our hearts and make that the, 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 very, uh, the very heart of Harvest Church as we delight to know you and enjoy uh, all the good fruit of the grace we've been given. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.